Well, welcome today, wherever you're joining us from, in person, online. We're really glad you're with us today. It was 1904 when President Theodore Roosevelt started a really grand project that required the moving of mountains. You see, for centuries, people had dreamed of a passageway that would provide a connection between the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, one that would not require going all the way around the tip of South America, because that was just a long journey. For instance, if you lived in 1849 and and you wanted to go from New York Harbor, let's say, and you wanted to get in on the California Gold Rush in California in the San Francisco area and the surrounding streams and mountains, if you didn't want to go across land with all the dangers of that and you decided you wanted to go by ship, guess what? You had a 12,000-mile journey ahead of you. But, but, if a mere 51-mile waterway could be created across the Isthmus of Panama, that would eliminate 8,000 arduous miles from that journey. The problem was there were a lot of mountains in the way. Right where the canal needed to go across that Isthmus were foreboding mountains. I mean, they were a real problem. In fact, there was at least eight miles of them that you would have to somehow get through these rock-solid mountains if you were going to create a canal. So through the years, people had tried, but no one had been successful. Others concluded that it was simply impossible to do. But eventually, a group of super-determined people made the Panama Canal a reality. But get this, it required over 60 million pounds of dynamite to blow through that rock and make the excavation of the Panama Canal a reality. Well, last week we started this series that I'm calling Reimagine. We're trying to reimagine what God's presence, his power, his his potential in and through us really means. But I would suggest to you today that one of the greatest ways to imagine that is with, is with the word dynamite. That's actually the word. Now, if you have your Bibles, it'd be a good time to grab those in Acts chapter one. That's actually the word that Jesus described to talk about this power that would come to his disciples after he had ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I'm reading now from Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 7, where he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then these classic words, but you will receive power, note that word, power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the disciples had inquired about future events. Like many people today, they were enamored with what was specifically going to happen in the future. And Jesus is basically here saying, look, I, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to give you all these details about the future, but I will tell you this. Something's going to happen to you. This power is going to be given to you that will be a complete game changer. Jesus is saying the same power, the same Holy Spirit who came upon me at my baptism is going to come and dwell in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that has fueled my ministry. It's the same power that I access to perform miracles. It's the same power that raised me from the dead. And this source of power is going to come to live inside of you. And the word in Greek that he used is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. We also get words like dynamo and dynamic from it as well. So here's the question. What exactly does this dunamis have the power to do? And my answer is it has the power to turn a person into a dynamo for Jesus Christ. I think the classic case study in that is Simon Peter himself, one of the disciples of Jesus. I think if you read the Gospels and you're being honest about it, Simon Peter was anything but a dynamo at first. In fact, you almost walk away with the idea that he was somewhat, not trying to be unfair to him, he was somewhat of a bumbling idiot at times, always saying the wrong thing, always sticking his foot in his mouth, a bit impetuous. That's who he was before he received this power. He was pretty wimpy and weak. And of course, the classic failure that we all know about is that he denied that he even knew Jesus three times in front of a servant girl. I think we've got to admit that is pretty wimpy and weak. And again, we're not judging him or looking down our nose at him. I think we would have probably had the same cowardice if we were in that same situation. So here's the point. Just keeping it real, Simon Peter was anything but dynamic at that point in his life. But, but, after this dunamis from the Holy Spirit came to live in Peter, the picture of his life is dramatically different. If you've read the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, you know what I'm talking about. On this Jewish feast day called Pentecost, where at least people from at least 17 nations had come together to celebrate this great event this dunamis was given to these disciples who had gathered in an upper room. And Peter and the other disciples began to speak to all the folks gathered there in Jerusalem in their own languages. Languages, by the way, that they had never studied or learned. And that's not only dynamic, that is a downright miracle. I think you'll agree. And when some in the crowd began to suggest, you guys are drunk, Peter said, no, 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 wait a minute. The pubs aren't even open yet, guys. I mean, no, no, we're, we're not wasted as you suppose. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And then Peter appeals to Joel's prophecy that was given hundreds of years earlier. Now, he switches a couple of phrases in it and how he preached it. But I want to go back to Joel's original prophecy and the way he gave it. 
And here it is from Joel chapter two. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Think about that. A new thing is coming, Joel prophesies. It's gonna be a new day. He's talking, of course, about this new covenant relationship we're gonna have. And this was said hundreds of years before it happened. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And Peter's going, look, that's what's happening right now before your very eyes. And Peter, wow, goes on to boldly and with searing conviction preach a powerful gospel message that's very confrontational and very clear, and 3,000 people professed faith in Christ that very day. Now, wait a minute. Time out here. Is this the same guy who cowered in fear before a servant girl? Same guy. What made the difference? Dunamis. The presence, the power of the Holy Spirit was now dwelling in Simon Peter and the other disciples. And by the way, as you read the account in the book of Acts, it didn't stop there. They just continued to live and to minister in that same power and essentially turned the world upside down. Their proclamation blasted through mountains of unbelief and doubt. Their obedience to Christ, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, opened up a canal. It opened up a channel of blessing to all the people groups around them. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and it was now living in them by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the bottom line for us. Here's the good news for us today. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, trusting in his atoning death and what he accomplished on the cross for you by grace through faith, you are indwelled by that same Holy Spirit, the same one that lived in those early disciples, that same dunamis is available to you and me. And my question is simply this, can you reimagine his power demonstrated through you as you live your life right now in this 21st century. What would that look like? What would it look like if you and I walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit every single day? Now, here's something that I find very interesting. If you have your Bible, grab it again if you put it aside. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, please. The book of Ephesians. And then Chapter five, we're gonna look at that in just a moment. But then I want you to also look a couple of books after that, go through Philippians, then get to Colossians. And we're gonna look at a verse in chapter three of Colossians. Because here, the Apostle Paul talks about what walking in the fullness of the Spirit might actually look like. I'm reading now from Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 and following. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a passage. Now, keep your finger there for just a moment. We're going to come back to that. But I want you to look now at Colossians chapter 3. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Bible, Ephesians and Colossians are two of those books in our Bible that are very, very similar. In fact, they follow, if you look at it closely, almost the same outline. They deal with the same subject matter, just using a little bit different wording, both written by the same human author, but to different groups of people. So here in Colossians 3, Paul is laying out essentially the same statement, but instead of saying being filled with the Spirit, he talks about letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's look at it. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Do you see that? Do you see how similar those are? Same context, but in one he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other, the other he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But the outcome he describes is the same. Can you see that? In one, he calls it being filled with the Spirit. In the other, he calls it letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, outcome is the same. What's the outcome? What's going to happen when you do that? You're basically going to be a thankful person, overflowing with gratitude and joy to the point that you want to just sing it out and let your praises be known. And the way you relate to others is going to be in such a way that you build them up with your speech, okay? That's the outcome. So, you've seen the two passages. Let me try a theory out on you. Here's what I believe. I believe that Paul could talk about being filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word of God almost synonymously. And here is the thing about it. I believe in his mind, a mature, dynamic disciple is full of both the word and the spirit. He just thinks of them as kind of the same thing. They go together. They aren't enemies. They are naturally wedded together. Now, uh, let me just tell you from my perspective, the problem with so many Christian communities down through the centuries, they have defaulted to one or the other of those. You'll even see churches today that pride themselves on being spirit churches. We just flow with the spirit, baby. It's all about the spirit here. You'll see other churches over here that pride themselves on being word churches. We rightly divide the word of truth. I think Paul would say, why not bring them together? They belong together. They aren't enemies. They're friends. You need to be full of the word and full of the spirit. And as God knows the deepest desires of my heart, that's the kind of church I want grace to be. A church where the people of grace are full of the spirit, walking step by step with the spirit every day, but also living full of God's word, knowing it intimately, internalizing the truth of scripture. You say, but pastor, what happens if we don't wed those two together. I'll tell you what happens. If you're full of the word, 
but not the spirit, you usually become dull. That's the truth. You usually become a pretty dull church. I can prove that with example after example after example. I heard about one church the other day that prides himself in being a word church. We rightly divide the word of truth. And a guy right in the middle of the service died of a heart attack. Cardiac arrest, died right in the service. Well, the paramedics were Johnny on the spot. They were professional and prompt. The problem was they carried out three guys before they found the right one. That is a dull church. You don't want to be a part of that church. That's pretty dull. But I'll tell you what happens when you're full of the Spirit but not the Word. You become flaky. Anybody know any flaky Christians? You ever met a flaky Christian? I'm telling you, there's lots of flaky Christians around claiming this, claiming that, but they have no foundation whatsoever in the Word of God. So let's just shake hands on this. Let's just agree together today, people of grace, that we're going to be neither dull nor flaky. Can we agree on that? We're not going to be dull, and we're not going to be flaky. We're going to bring the Word and the Spirit together. Let's be those rare disciples, and they are rare. Trust me, they're rare because it's a delicate dance to let these two dance in tandem who are full of both the Word and the Spirit. Now, for the balance of our time, I want to go on a journey here. I told you to keep your place there at Ephesians 5, so go back to Ephesians 5, and I want to tease out a little bit of what this dunamis of the Spirit is going to look like when it gets expressed in our lives. In Ephesians 5, he says in verse 19, speak to one another. And then he says in the same verse, sing, sing and make music in your hearts. And then he says in verse 21, all right together, submit. I want to focus on those three S words. Did you note them? You may want to underline them in your Bible. Speak, sing, submit. They all begin with S. Let's tease those out for a few minutes that we have here together. The first S word is speak. Speak. Do you see that? When you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, also filled with the Word, you're going to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I would say to you today, when the Holy Spirit is dominating your personality and determining your behavior, and that's what living in the fullness of the Spirit means, he dominates your personality, and determines your behavior, trust me, your speech is going to be different. And it's going to be winsome and attractive. I don't know if we have any basketball fans here, but I'll tell you, Scott Drew is on top of the coaching world right now. He's kind of the darling of the media. He is everywhere. Talk shows, interviews, podcasts, all over the place. Because less than two weeks ago, Monday night, April the 5th, the Baylor Bears beat the Gonzaga Bulldogs, previously undefeated, in convincing fashion to win the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Championship. And the next morning, Coach Drew 
and his star point guard, Jared Butler, who's also an amazing Christian, by the way, and who teaches Sunday school at his local Baptist church near the Baylor campus. He's the first-team All-American and the top scorer in that final game, by the way. Jared Butler admitted, I haven't slept all night. I've been so excited just celebrating the wonder of this victory. But it almost always comes around to Coach Drew's faith. And he talks repeatedly about the joy culture that they have on the team. Have you heard that little acronym, JOY? I mean, it's one of the first things we teach children. JOY. It stands for Jesus, others, yourself. And Coach Drew unashamedly says, that's the culture on our team. Jesus, others, and then yourself. So we're an unselfish team. I printed out one quote that I came across this week. ESP analyst Fran Fraschilla, in talking about Coach Drew, said, and I quote now, he has an optimism, a sense of faith, and a sense of family and togetherness that is real. People said early on, he's a phony. He's a charlatan. But the more you see it, you know it's real stuff. He's like that Sunday school preacher, but he believes what he's preaching. Optimism with him is like breathing. Oh, how we need that kind of attractive Christian witness in every level of our society today. Coach Drew's speech is different because he seeks every day, he would tell you this, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it has a powerful impact. Can you reimagine what your life would look like if every day you got up and said, Lord, would you show me today what to say and how to say it? I want my speech to be different, Lord. I want to represent you winsomely today, whether it's to believers or unbelievers, doesn't matter. Let your dunamis be released through me. I think the capital district and beyond would be turned upside down if we lived that way. I really do. I think our witness would be so winsome, it would be incredible. Can you remember several weeks ago when we had that last big snowstorm around here? I, I don't remember the exact day, but all I remember was I got up over at our home in Troy and I looked out and there was over a foot of snow on the ground. Well, I was kind of dreading clearing the driveway and the porch and all that, but I looked out the window and lo and behold, there were two guys shoveling my driveway. I couldn't believe it. That's so why I got up close to the window and I looked more carefully. Ah, I recognized them. There were two of our neighbors, great guys. Mark Van Leuven, who lives across the street, and Michael Jensen, who lives on the same side of the street, just down a little bit. And there they were, working together as a team, clearing my driveway. I thought, that is awesome. Awesome. And so I thought, felt a little guilty, actually. Thought, wow, I should have been up earlier. I should be clearing their driveways and shoveling their drive. And here they are, shoveling mine. So I hustled and got my outdoor clothes on, and I got out there as fast as I could and grabbed my shovel. And I started joining them because I wanted them to feel encouraged, you know. And I started thanking them profusely and shoveling snow right alongside of them. But, but really quickly, our conversation turned 
to the ski mask that I was wearing. And I have it right here, the exact ski mask that I was wearing. And they asked me about it. And I said, guys, this headgear, <laughs> it's amazing. I've been using it now for a number of weeks, and it is a lifesaver, let me tell you. In fact, just give you an example how good it is. A few weeks ago, it was really cold. The temperature was about zero, but the wind was so strong. It, the wind chill was like 20 below. No problem for me. Not with my headgear. I mean, I could be out running. On that day, I went for a long run, and I was as toasty warm as I could be. And then I showed them. Now, remember, I had it on. I'm not going to put it on right now because it would mess up my perfect hair, okay? <laughs> but I had it on then, and I, and I showed them, and I said, look, it keeps me warm from here up. It covers my whole neck. It is amazing. And then I demonstrated for Mark and Michael. I said, look, you can pull this down right here if you need to show somebody your face or you need to blow your nose or something. And I said, then it goes right back up because it's magnetized. Boop, right back up. Some of you missed that, so let me do it again. I said, you can pull this down, need to blow your nose, whatever, and then boop, goes right back up, right in place. This headgear is amazing. And I said, guys, I've always dreaded being outside in the winter for very long because I'm kind of follically challenged, if you know what I mean. And and I, I get cold easily that way, but not with this. I can walk around for hours. It's all about the headgear. And then I literally, I literally said this. I said, this has changed my life. I said that phrase. This has changed my life. Can I tell you something? True story. The more I talked, the more they were interested in this headgear. And they could see, they could see, here is a completely satisfied, happy customer. And they said, yeah, we've seen the difference. We've seen you out here running on the street and working out. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And soon they were asking about the brand name. And, and so I told them it's called Cirrus. I think it's pronounced. And then they wanted me to spell it. And so I articulated every letter, S-E-I-R-S. -S. And they took note of that. And I told them where I got mine and, and where I thought you could, you could pick them up in a couple of places in the area. And, and I said, literally, I said, guys, as you can probably tell, it's like I want to go around the world telling everyone how wonderful this headgear is. Can I tell you, friends, I was a brilliant evangelist for this ski mask. Brilliant. I was articulate joyful. I told them how well it works for me. I told the difference it's made in my life. And by the time I finished, they were hungry to get in on the wonder of this ski mask. Well, we said our goodbyes and I thanked them again. And, and as I walked into the house, I think the Holy Spirit whispered this, just a faint whisper, Oh, that you were that enthusiastic and winsome when you talk about Jesus. Ouch. But it hit home. Jesus said, you'll receive dunamis and you'll be my witnesses. Whether it's speaking to non-believers or believers, it doesn't matter. The power of the Holy Spirit will make a difference in how we speak.
Now, quickly, I want us to look at that second S word. We not only speak, but we sing. Verse 19b, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I'm going to be very brief here, but God puts a new song in your mouth, and there's this song of praise because you've got something to sing about. David talked about that in Psalm 40. He said, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Have you ever wondered why do Christians sing? You ever thought about that? I mean, isn't that a pretty weird practice? I mean, I don't know of many groups who do that like we do it. Why? Why? Why, when we come together, do we put such a focus on, why do we spend 15, 20, 25 minutes or more singing songs when we come together like this? Isn't that strange? Can I tell you why? We sing because we got something to sing about. There are some deep and profound things that can best be expressed through song. Now, I'm going to challenge some of you gently now, and you're going to be offended a little bit, but take it out on God, not on me, okay? I'm going to challenge some of you to go from being a mere spectator in worship to a participant. See, here's my concern for you. When God puts a song in your heart, he wants you to sing it. And if you refuse to kind of sing the song that God puts in your heart, if you refuse to participate in worship, I think there's a very genuine sense in which we're quenching the spirit of God in our lives because he births this song in us and that joyful song needs an outlet. So Paul says, sing. That's gonna be one of the results when you're full of the word and full of the spirit. And I gotta commend many of you. Through the years at Grace, when I've looked out at the congregation, I've looked at the glow on your faces. I wanna tell you, I think for many of you, it is a powerful witness to the presence of Christ in your life because your faces are aglow with the glory of God. I really mean that. I've had dozens of people say to me through 28 years now, when I, I don't know what it was, Pastor, but when I stepped into that sanctuary, I just started to cry because I knew the presence of God was there. And I think a lot of it is what they see on your faces as you worship. It says to me, you know the one you're worshiping. Praise God. But by the same token, can I say, through the years, I look at some of you and you look miserable during worship. Now, I'm not judging you. No, I'm not judging you. I know you may have had the worst stinking week of your life. I'm not judging that. I know life is hard and bad things happen and we don't always, you know, have these goosebumps when we come to worship. I get it. Believe me, I get it. Are you enjoying God at all? Is there any song in your heart? No, no, I'm not trying to create a new legalism here. The last thing I would want is like, oh, Keener's looking over in this sex, better start moving your lips, you know, so he won't be judging you. 
No, 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 no. But is there a song in your heart? Don't you want to sing to God? So I challenge you to, to let that song go, go. When the Spirit of God kind of moves in, you just want to sing because there's music in your hearts. One of the most brilliant crystallizations or summaries of our purpose, I think, was posed centuries ago in a question. And the question was, what is the chief end of man? Let me tell you what that question meant. What is the ultimate goal or purpose of a human being supposed to be? Here's the answer. Are you ready for this answer? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you enjoying God? Hey, got a news flash. Christianity is not about grudging obedience to a tyrant in heaven. It's not grudging obedience to a tyrant in heaven. Oh, we got to do it. We hate it. There's absolutely nothing fun about this, but oh, it's our duty. No. The more we get to know God, the more we actually enjoy him. And I just love to be around Christians who are actually enjoying God. They get it. That the most wondrous thing in life is getting to know more and more this great God that we serve. But there's a third S word. We obviously don't have time to tease out, but it's that word Paul used, submit. Speak sing, submit. Speak, sing, submit. Ephesians 5.21. Here it is. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, we don't have time to tease this out, but if you read it on your own, what you're going to see is that he gives three examples of how that works. One, in Christian marriage. Two, with children and parents. And then in the workplace. And let me summarize it this way. What he basically says is there is this holy and humble deference to others when we're really walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Is that you? Is that me? What would that look like if we began to live that way? Because a healthy Christian life has meaningful relationships. And there's a healthy and holy and humble deference to other people in our lives. We are not obnoxious and proud and demanding our own way all the time. So the people God is looking to build are not people who are so earthly, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. To the contrary, the kind of people who bring word and spirit together are the people who do the most good in this world. Let me tell you right now, that's easy to prove. Easy to prove historically. They're the people who have passionately gone after changing their culture and society in redemptive ways, in helping oppressed people, in helping to bring justice to bear. People who've wedded word and spirit are difference makers. And I just want to say in closing today, I just can't help but believe that when the power that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in you. I just can't help but believe that that's going to be a game changer when you tap in to that power.
Father, would you help us today to be people of the word and people of the spirit? Let us be neither dull nor flaky as we live for you this wonderful life of discipleship. And I pray for those today who've somehow maybe grown up in a religious background where they thought that Christianity was all about grudging obedience to some tyrant God in heaven who's always mad at them, always looking to make them pay for something or bring some kind of discipline in their lives. Thank you that because of your word, we've got a much healthier view of who you are. I thank you that we can actually enjoy you. We can enjoy this journey, even though it sometimes has pain. We can enjoy you and we can glorify you with our lives. May that be our story. May that be the narrative that our lives are writing and that you're writing through us. We praise you today and we give you honor as we continue to speak and sing and submit for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.